can't really see very well. But I'm glad to be back in the LSC, back with you guys. It feels good to be together tonight, right? We are going to be, well, we kind of started this series with Dick Foth. How many of you were there when Dick spoke? That was awesome, right? Amazing man of God. Uh, and he, he kind of introduced the series that we're going to conclude the semester with. And so we're looking at the book of Acts, chapter 2, and we're looking at the early church. We're looking at, really, the church right after it began on the day of Pentecost. And essentially what happened is Peter and the other apostles were praying, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they got up, and a bunch of people heard the commotion because uh, there was a lot of noise involved, and they assumed that they were drunk. And Peter actually stands up with the, the other apostles and gives an explanation of what's going on. And in his explanation, he says, you know, first of all, it's like 9 o'clock in the morning, so we're not drunk. And secondly, <laughs> secondly, this that you're seeing is, is what the prophet Joel foretold when he said that the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out on all people. And that was really, they're seeing the Holy Spirit birthing the church. And it says 3,000 people that day, they were cut to the heart. And they asked, they asked as like one voice, they said, what must we do to be saved? How do we get right with God? Because they realized that they had, they had been sinful. And they realized their sin in that moment. And that's something that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do is he would convict of sin. They were convicted, they were cut to the heart. And Peter told them, repent of your sins. So stop sinning, be baptized, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so on that day, 3,000 people came into the church all at once. And then we read in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. We're going to read about what this church was like. And it says, And they, the church, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Okay, so that, that's a very concise picture of the early church. And what we're going to look at the next three weeks, starting tonight, are what we call the essentials. So we have three things that we believe, if you have these three things, you're going to make it. We see these three things in the story of Acts chapter 2. We see the early church had them in, in, in fruition. You know, they had them fully. But we see that each of us individually must possess these three things. And so really tonight, and actually for the next couple weeks that we continue this series, we're going to be sharing some stuff that, that I believe is, this is one of the most important series we've ever done in our post like ever. I believe that this will change your destiny. If you have these three things, we've got three things we say that if you have them, you could go anywhere in the world. You could go to the darkest corner of the world and you would still follow Jesus. You wouldn't lose him. You wouldn't, your love for him wouldn't cool off. You wouldn't backslide. You wouldn't deny him. Like if you have these three things, you're going to make it. And so, th first of all, we're going to look at one tonight, which we just nickname or call brotherhood. A little disclaimer, when I say brotherhood, I'm going to be talking about brotherhood a lot tonight. I also mean sisterhood. Sorry, I don't have, uh, it's a little more convenient than saying brotherhood, sisterhood, brotherhood, sisterhood. So 
I'm just going to say brotherhood, and when you hear that, if you're, if you're a woman, hear sisterhood when I say that, okay? <laughs> or, or you could just hear real community. Okay, real community. That's what we're looking at tonight. What is real community? It's interesting that, you know, we live in a time where I would say community is like a cafeteria. I'm talking about community in general, but also Christian community, it's like a cafeteria. Like, pick your flavor. You know, you can find any church here in Fort Collins that fits your flavor of what you're looking for. You know, there's a church, if you're, if you're a, a seeker, we've got, we've got churches for you. If you're into studying the Word, we've got churches for you. If you're into this, we've got a church for that. You know what I mean? We've got a church for every particular interest you could possibly have. And the problem is, with this, is that, um, how many of you have been Golden Corral? Right? How many of you have left Golden Corral and enjoyed the experience? All hands down, right? <laughs> Except for one. <laughs> Golden Corral is awful. Right? It's terrible. It's not just because the food's bad. It's because there's so much of everything. It's just, you just end up not enjoying any of it. Right? And, and that's sort of how community, I believe that's how community is for us today in the church. It's that we've got so much community available to us. We have so much, uh, th- uh, just a plethora of community that's available that we don't value it. <laughs> when I lived in Russia, I spent two years in Russia, one year with my wife, Ileana, and then the year before that with Nate and Lindsay Banky. When we were in Russia, community was like seven of us. Okay, There was like us for our team and a few other missionaries that were also in the city we were at in Russia. We were in a pretty obscure city there, Krasnodar, Russia. No one had ever heard of it. I mean, I hadn't heard of it until I went. And so, really, there was like maybe a dozen Americans total living in the city. And when we got together, fellowship and community was so potent and so powerful. I mean, we, the, the, the same community, if you had brought it over here in the States, it might be kind of ordinary. People look at it and be like, you know, you're just a bunch of normal people. But we were, in fact. But because it was so um, rare, the community that we had, it was so rich during that time. I have some of the fondest memories I have to this day are from that season of my life, and it's the community that we have. Like, it was so close-knit. It was so tight. It was exactly like Acts chapter 2. There was just a little bit of us, but it was so real. And I'm afraid that in our day and age, because community is so available, we don't understand that. Uh, you know, how many of you have brothers? How many of you guys have brothers? Yeah. How do, how, you know that when you have a brother, I have a younger brother. He's four years younger than me. When you have a brother, what do you do? You fight, right? You always fight. You know, you, you wrestle. You, you punch each other. <laughs> you hit each other, right? And you also know if you have a brother, if anyone messes with your brother, especially if it's younger, then you, that's not okay. Only you get the right to mess with your brother, right? <laughs> Only you can beat your brother up. <laughs> we see brotherhood in the Bible. Um, you know, brotherhood, I'm talking about biological brotherhood in the Bible. It's a tragic story. I'm thinking of the first brothers. You guys know who they are? Cain and Abel. How's that end? Murder. Okay. Right? Yeah. Violence. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about Jacob and Esau. You guys remember what happens with Jacob and Esau? Deception. Jacob steals the birthright from his older brother Esau. And Esau decides he's gonna kill Jacob. So Jacob runs for his life basically never gets to be with his parents ever again after that moment. 
When he comes back to his homeland, his mom has already died. And so we see that brothers in the Bible, I could go on, I mean, I'm thinking also of Jesus and his brothers, biological brothers. They didn't even believe in him, okay? Brotherhood in the Bible is a mess, right? And then, and then, I mean, it's not just applicable to guys. I think how many of you girls before you came to college can honestly say you came here looking for a tight group of sisters? Probably not many of you. I would, right? Most of you were probably looking, you're, you're like, I don't even like hanging out with girls. I don't like hanging out with, I don't want just sisters, you know? That, the idea of that probably is not very appealing to you when you came here, and especially before you experienced something true and real here in Outpost. But what Jesus is wanting to create and do in us is create a community of real, authentic brotherhood and sisterhood. I'm talking about the kind where you love each other forever. Brotherhood, sisterhood was meant to be for eternity. How in the world is that going to happen? I mean, look at look at the story of brotherhood in the Bible. It's a mess. And we know, I mean, friends, we have friends that come and go. How in the world are we going to stick together? Well, first of all, we've got to understand one thing. This is so important. We have to understand that true brotherhood, true sisterhood is a gift from God. It is by grace that you have this community. This community, I'm talking about output. It is by the grace of God that you're here tonight. It is by the grace. You are not owed community. God doesn't owe it to you. It is totally a blessing. And you know why uh, it's a blessing, why it's a gift, why you should be grateful for it? Here's why. Because the way you enter Christian community is when you realize what Jesus has done for you. I, I love my brother because of what Jesus did for me. Right? When he came and he, he revealed himself to me and he got my heart right, he, he rescued my selfish heart, my wicked heart, and he made it pure. He, he changed it into a righteous heart, a loving heart. I couldn't help but want to be around brothers. I wanted to find whoever was into Jesus, I was, I was sticking with them. I was right next door to them. Before that moment, man, I, didn't, I couldn't give a rip about those people. Honestly, so Nate was one of them. I just didn't care. I used them for my benefit, you know, and when I was done with them, I was done with them. But after I came to know Jesus and came to see what Jesus had done for me, then I began to love my brothers. But in the same sense, we could say it's not just because of what Jesus did for me that I love my brother. In, in exactly the same sense, I could say I love my brother because of what Jesus did for him. You, you see the difference, right? Because of what Jesus did for him, I love my brother. And it's not based on personality, not based on mutual interest. It's not based on uh, we just click or have chemistry. Like the guy that might irritate me naturally the most, if God has changed his life and forgiven him and redeemed him and made him a born-again child of God, guess what? He's my brother. We're brothers, okay? Sisters, same, same thing. If you see what God has done for someone else, that's the basis of true brotherhood, true sisterhood. So this is what, this is what uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, which he writes an amazing book on community called Life Together. He says this, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. So what am I saying? I'm saying... 
you can't come into community, and we, we fashion it this way a little bit, and I'm not, I'm not speaking just about Outpost, but the church. We make community about the experience. You know, come and experience something irresistible. Come and experience our worship, and come and experience, you know, laughter and love together, and that's all true. But the thing is, true brotherhood is not this ideal, it's not this thing we're trying to obtain. It's more of a revelation. It's more a realization of what God's already done. So that you could be in a situation where the brotherhood is maybe not that great. And you can still be and are expected to be grateful for it. You can be so grateful for something that is so lame. Honestly, because of this fact, that true brotherhood is not something we're striving for. Because when you come into a community and you have these set of expectations of how it's going to look, or what you want in this community, that actually in itself is kind of destructive to me. Like you're you're coming in with your agenda, you're coming in with this thing that you want to see happen. You you want it to be a certain way and cater maybe to some of your interests. And at the end of the day, that's just never going to create true brotherhood. Rather, you must begin with a realization that where you're at right now, where God has placed you in this community, this is it. This is it. You don't need to go looking for something else. You don't need to be constantly looking and scanning the horizon to find a better community. Like you're already in it. If you're with the people of God, if you've been born again, if you have been saved by Jesus Christ, and you're with other believers here in this room, this is it. This is brotherhood. This is sisterhood. Okay? So when we get that realization, that, that just changes everything. Now, let's say your small group is not that great. I hope all your small groups are great. But let's say your small group, you just don't click with the people in your small group. Like, you don't, you know, maybe your small group leader's great, but the other people in your small group are really weird. Or maybe, maybe you just don't connect. You know, maybe, maybe you just, like I mentioned, you don't have anything in common. And maybe you're tempted to kind of, like, be like, man, I wish, I wish I had something better. I wish this was, I wish I didn't have this. I wish I had a different group. I thought that when I was a small group. I remember checking out another small group in Outpost and thinking, wow, this is real small group. I don't know what we got going on in my small group, but it's, it, it's nothing compared to this. Here's the thing. When we, when we complain about small groups like that, like we're missing it, right? We're missing it. We're totally missing it. And this is why. The first step away from God is always an independent spirit. All right? The first step away from God, I don't care who you are. It's, it's always, this is always the first step, is when you say to your brother, I have no need of you. You see, we see in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 12, verse 21, Jesus has put us into a body, and he says, that I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So when you look at your small group or your community here in the outpost, and you're like, I think I can do it on my own. If you, maybe you don't even say that verbally. Maybe consciously you don't you don't actually say that out loud. But the way that you live communicates that. Like, I can do this by myself. I got this. That's the first step on the road away from God. To illustrate this, uh, let's, let's look at the devil for a moment, okay? How does the devil leave the best community that's ever existed for all of eternity? Like, he's got, he, when he left heaven, it was heaven. Like it wasn't. It wasn't lame, right? It was. It was amazing. It was incredible. It had the best worship you could ever imagine, the best preaching by God Himself. You know, it was the best 
everything. I mean, the best greeting, the best fellowship, the best of everything. And yet he left. Why did he leave all that? It's, it's interesting. In Isaiah, we get a picture of, of sort of what was going on in the devil's head. And there's this little passage. It's prophetic, but it's speaking about Satan specifically. It's a series of I will statements. He says, like, I will ascend the throne of heaven. I will establish this. I will do this. I will do And it's almost like a stutter. Like he says, I will six times. I will, I will, I will. And you start to see that what the devil did and the way that he left heaven and left community is he became independent. Fundamentally, he said in his heart, I don't need you. I can do it. I got this. So what, what's it going to take to move us from a place of maybe affection for one another to true love? Right? What's it going to take to move us from a place of affection to one another to true love? There was a small group leader. He was in my research group. This was probably four or five years ago. Um, I, I had come back from Russia, and I, I inherited a research group of small group leaders. And this guy uh, seemed like a great guy. You know, he, had, he was really hungry for Jesus at the time. He really loved leading small groups. But he, he started telling me what had happened and transpired the year that I was gone. And he said, I had this guy in small group who would compare my small group to his youth group experience growing up. Apparently this kid had some amazing youth pastor that just gave him all the attention in the world day and night. And he was looking at this small group leader who was brand new, right? The small group leader, this is his first year leading small group. Like some of you that have led small group, you know how, how anxious you can feel when you're first leading small group. You know, how, how you're, you're sticking your neck out for the first time to really try to make this happen. And that's what he did. He really took a risk and he tried to go out and meet some guys. And this guy basically told them halfway through the, the, the year that they were in small group together, look, I don't want to be in your small group anymore. It's not, it, I'm not being fed here. Like, it's not doing anything for me. I'm sorry, man. Like, it's actually, like, really lame. But it's basically what he said. Like, I, I don't like it here. Um, I'm going to go I'm gonna go somewhere else. And that small group leader, when I became his resource leader, basically, this is what happened. He, he was so discouraged by that that he ended up quitting small group leading. And today, I'm not even sure where his walk with God is at, to be honest. I'm not even sure that he's still with you. So, what I'm saying is, like, when we have this independent spirit, it doesn't just affect us. Like, it affects the community. When you say, again, when you say, I have no need of you, but we do have need of you. We have, absolutely, we have great need of you. And so, the posture that you're to have is one of gratitude. No matter what, no matter what community looks like for you here, whether it's meeting your needs or not, you are to have a posture of gratitude. Like, thank you, Jesus, for these and when you begin to thank Jesus for them and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for my small group leaders. Thank you, God, for the members of my small group. Thank you, God, for my resource group. Thank you, God, for the outpost. When you begin to have this heart of gratitude, you'll start to have real brotherhood. Like the people in your life will suddenly become the closest people you've ever had in your life. It starts with that place of gratitude. Now, when I'm talking about moving from uh, an affection to, for each other, a liking of each other to a love, this is what I mean. When you uh, like each other, you know, it, that's how a lot of us start out in community. We like each other, we like the group, Alpos 
is cool and, and you enjoy being part of it. Like at some level, that's kind of how you started. All of us. We all were like, I mean, that's how I started. I thought the guys that I met were really cool and I just wanted to be around them. But here's the thing. Just merely liking each other will never get past being offended. And I've got news for you guys. You're going to be offended. Jesus said, offenses will come. He said, that's a promise, a guarantee. Offenses will come. Woe to those who they come through, but offenses are going to come. I had a small group leader. His name was Peter. And Peter was an amazing small group leader in the sense that he, he did everything he could to build his small group. I mean, he, he did everything. He tried as hard as he could, and he, he kept trying. He never gave up. He was one of those guys that was just so faithful. And one year, Peter ended up getting a small group. Uh, he ended up getting a group of guys that were... They seemed to really start liking each other. They really liked him. They liked being part of the outpost. It was great. They were coming regularly. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, actually it was over winter break. They came back from winter break, and they were nowhere to be found. Peter was reaching out to them. And it was so weird. It was like a night and day switch, their attitude towards Peter. They didn't want anything to do with Peter at that point. Like they wouldn't answer the phone call. They wouldn't text back. Peter even went to their dorms to try to find them just to be like, hey, what's going on? And they basically said this. We heard something in Outpost that offended us, so we left. Now, I I believe they they probably were offended, yeah. I don't know to this day what they were offended over. Actually, I think they said it was our national director that offended them, which is really funny. So, can't help that. If the national guy, if the head guy offends you, I'm sorry. But, but really, here's the thing. Their affection had not been translated into real love. Because this is how love responds to being offended. I'm telling you, right, you're going to be offended. You're probably going to be offended over something. It could be the smallest thing, too. It could be something so little. But an offense not dealt with grows and grows and grows and this big thing until we finally leave. Here's how you deal with it. Romans tells us exactly how to deal with it. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in Actually, some other translations say, outdo one another in honor. This is how you do it. Will you have, when you're offended, will you have love that's brave enough to cover the offense with honor? When you're offended, will you be brave enough to cover that offense with honor? Publicly honor. Rather than, rather than going around and telling everyone your offense, and telling everyone the grievance that you have, and like, I can't believe they said this, I can't believe... Brent preached that on Thursday night. I can't believe he said that. And go around and you tell everybody else, and you just spread this poison of offense. Pretty soon, it, it makes the whole community uh, wounded. It actually does. It hurts the whole community. It affects brotherhood. It affects sisterhood. You lose the brothers through that process. So what do you do? You honor. You, you go and do the opposite thing that you're feeling like you want to do. You honor in that situation. You say, Hey, I love these people. And though I may be offended, don't even mention your offense. Take that to God. Just take that straight to God in prayer. Tell God. You can tell God you're offended. But don't, don't you dare just go around telling and spreading that all around the community. Right? Instead, you just you lift up the community in public. Every chance you get, you just lift them up. Even if you're offended. That's one key to how we stick together. Like I said, we need each other. Love, true love, here's another test. I think I have a slide for this. It says, 
he just has to know the difference between if you have a, uh, an affection for each other or a love for each other. True love, love, will treat an enemy with better. That's something that just merely liking each other can never do. A mere, uh, uh, an affection that we often, our world calls love, cannot love an enemy. But we, followers of Christ, are called to love our enemies, to treat them as brothers. Sometimes we're called to, to treat our brothers in, in a way that would purposely offend them. I had, a, I had a small group, this was in 2011, it was my first year on staff with the Outpost. And I had this guy, Brian Von Sagan, who's the sweetest guy. Man, some of you know him, maybe a couple of you know him. I mean, just such an awesome guy. He was one of those guys that he took everything I said seriously. It was, he was the perfect guy to have in small group. Everything I said, he took seriously. He tried everything I told him to do. He was just right there, right by my side the whole time. And there was this one moment when some of the guys were in my apartment I had a roommate who was also an outpost, and some outpost guys, including some underage guys, were drinking in my apartment, and they were underage, okay? And some of the older, some, one of these older guys that lived down the hall from us in our apartment building had supplied alcohol to the rest. And my guy, Brian, he looks at me with this innocent look, like, Brent, what are you going to do? And I was like, okay, um, there's a test right now <laughs> taking place. In my life, like, I'm being tested. I, I am going to have to come up with an answer. And I, I didn't want to do it in the moment, but I said, guys, you got to get this stuff out of here. I, this is not okay. And I stood up for what was right in that moment. I was scared. Um, and I didn't, again, I didn't want to I didn't want to offend my brothers. I didn't want to wound them. I didn't want to say something that could potentially damage our relationship. But I knew in that moment, when Brian was looking at me, it was right. I had to stand up for what was true. And so if our brotherhood is based on true love, we actually can do that. Like, we can actually say what needs to be said to one another. And even if we're afraid of the consequence, we can do it because we're doing it for their best. And my roommate was really offended by that. He had a bottle of tequila. His dad uh, owns a tequila factory, had sent him this bottle of really, really expensive tequila. It sat in our cupboard for months. And I always felt uneasy about it. I felt uneasy that it was there in the cupboard. It was just weird. It was like, why is this in our house? And then he finally, he was like, man, I think, you, I think you're being legalistic. I think that you are, you are being too, you're, you're just, you know what legalistic means? It means like, you're just following the law. You're just trying to be all about the rules. And he was spitting stuff at me, accusations, and I just took it. And then he broke down, and out of nowhere, the Holy Spirit just convicted him. And he's like, oh, I just realized that that bottle of tequila is a demonic presence in our house. He's like, I'm going to go smash that thing. And he literally, I went with him. We went out to the dumpster, and he took it against the, the wall of the dumpster and smashed it. Completely got rid of it. You see what happened in that moment? That's brotherhood. Because I stood up and did the right thing, my brother got free. Okay? And so that's true love. That's different than just, if I had just merely liked my roommate, I wouldn't have said that, and he would be still in that bondage. Okay. So here we are today, and it's wonderful when you can love one another truly. And some of you are small group leaders. I want to speak to you for a moment, those of you that are small group leaders. You've been reaching out to this campus, and you're, you're like, man, this is hard. This campus does not really want Jesus. 
And I think you don't have to be a smart dude to know this stuff, right? Like, the fact that less than maybe 5% of this campus is currently in any kind of Christian community tells us that 95% of the campus wants nothing to do with what we have. Stubbornly refuses it, in fact. I want to point you to a fact that you may not have noticed. God, when he reveals himself in the Bible, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That phrase is mentioned on numerous occasions in numerous scriptures. And you might read that and be like, that's cool, he's, he's the God of the patriarchs. But have you noticed this? He's the God of Jacob. Now, how many of you know what Jacob was like? Jacob was, his name literally means deceiver, supplanter. Like, he was, he was a mama's boy. When his, his older brother, right? He was. His older brother would go out and hunt. And it says he would, he would stay at home with his mom and learn how to cook. I mean, he, his dad actually preferred his brother over him. His dad had favorites. His dad preferred his older brother, Esau. You like that Esau liked to hunt. You like that Esau was a man's man. Jacob was just this, like, you almost imagine he's like this gentle guy. But, but the problem was he was a deceiver. He was really deceptive. And, and that kind of person, like, they're the worst kind of person, I think. Honestly. They just really are. If, if someone's just really conniving and crafty, like, that kind of evil is just really evil. And here's God saying, I'm the God of that guy. I'm the God of Jacob. What in the world? How in the world is he the God of Jacob? If I were God, I would not put my name on Jacob. I'm, I'm, I'm the, yeah, I'm the God of Abraham, the man of faith, and sure, his son too, but definitely not Jacob. God's the God of Jacob. What does that mean? You see, Israel, the nation who came from Jacob, they, God did, has done more for Israel than any other nation on the planet. From beginning to end, he has done more for that nation, for that group of people, for the Jewish race. He's done more for them. More, he's made more attempts to win them to himself and to keep them walking with them and to, to get them to be holy. And they have rejected him still to this day. The nation of Israel has rejected God more than any other nation on the planet. Hands down. Here's the crazy thing. This is something God's been showing me. God loves sinners, but he especially loves the worst. He really loves the worst. I'm serious. He loves the stubborn ones. It's almost like God can't help but be attracted to stubborn Israel. He keeps going after them. He keeps longing for them to be won back to him. He's not done with them even, guys. He's not done with them today. And I want you to understand this. Those of you that are on this campus, you're fighting for souls. Maybe you're discouraged. God loves sinners. Loves sinners. Loves perverts. Loves shameless blasphemers. Loves violent men and women. Loves them. So when you look at that kid who's stubborn, that guy, that girl that's stubborn, they just won't. They won't receive Jesus. Do you love them? Because Jesus does. Right? Jesus does. Ooh, it gets better than that, guys. Okay, you with me? We're going to dive into this. God's love. I want to talk about it and meditate on it for a little bit here. Like, what do I mean when I say God loves sinners? What does that exactly mean? It certainly doesn't mean it's just a, it's just a liking of them. It's not just a. It's just not just a carnal affection. It's a true love. How many of you heard the word agape? You guys remember agape feast, right? 
Agape means unconditional love, selfless love, right? How many of you know that actually there are other words for love in the Bible besides agape? And not just Greek either. I'm, I'm thinking of Hebrew words for love. There's a really amazing word that really, I think, in my opinion, this is just my personal opinion, best encapsulates, encapsulates the word of the love of God. It's actually a Hebrew word, chesed. Chesed, okay, they say it in the throat because they're from that area of the world. <laughs> chesed means basically this, loyal affection. It's called steadfast love in a lot of your translations of the Bible. God's love is steadfast. It's, it's loyal. It's devoted. It's actually duty. Now, duty and love, that might not really go together in our minds. What? That, that, how, do those, or how are those compatible? They have nothing to do with one another. But with God, they fit perfectly because God's love is stubbornly loyal. And I want to read to you guys a passage, passage sorry, of Scripture. This is actually found... In the Living Bible Translation, it's this really unique translation of the Bible. And if we could turn to it, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is, it, it, it's not strictly a translation, it's a paraphrase. But I think it best encapsulates the idea of what I'm talking about. It says this, if you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. Let me ask you guys a question. Do you love your roommate? According to this verse. Let me ask you something. You will always believe in him, always expect the best of him, and always stand your ground in defending him. Do you love your small group? You will always stand your ground in defending him. You will always expect the best of him. You will always believe in him. Do you love your parents? You see what I'm saying? Loyal. Loyal love. And when you're not Okay, I'm going to say this. I'm just going to say it. When you're not committed, like if you've got a lot of communities in your life and, and you're just dabbling in different communities and you're not committed to one, you're not loyal. You can't be loyal. You can't possibly be loyal with half commitment. To be loyal is to be committed. And so I'm making an appeal to you tonight to say this. The outposts, these people are my people. These are my people. For better or for worse. I'm locking arms with these people. Sometimes I, I've heard it, uh, this argument that, you know, I, I like the outpost. I like to come to small group. But most of my community is outside of outpost in the world, in, in a partying lifestyle, in a lifestyle that's not Christian. And I am being a light in that world. I will grant that you might be praying for them, that you might be trying to be a light in that world. But here's how to know if you're being a real light. Okay, there's, a, there's a way to know it. If you're leading those people out of that world. You see, if you're just keeping them in it, you can't really say you're being a light. The outpost began by a group of, of people who loved each other. They loved each other so much, they were willing to move from Texas to Colorado. And they were like a bunch of fish out of water. When they came up to Colorado, it was like major culture shock. They, they, they constantly complained about the fact that we call a grill, like grilling night, a barbecue. They were like, no, that's not barbecue. Right? Real barbecue is with a smoker. <laughs> right? 
and they, and they're like constantly like comparing it to Texas. Like now, back in Texas, this is so much better. But they but they moved here, loving each other with a mission. But they all came together. You see, Nate, when he came up here to start Outpost nine years ago, he said, "I got to do this with with other people. I can't do this by myself." Remember, Nate has the posture that we talked about. I, he said, "I need." My brothers, I need my sisters, I need people. I can't do this by myself. And so he brought a team up here. There was, there was I think, 13 of them that came up originally. And it was this amazing thing because the people that started Outpost, they had this history together. Four of them had been members of a band. Uh, and they ended up being our worship band. It was, it was amazing. But they had this history together, 10 years. Some of them, more than that, 20 plus years together. And through that time, they had, they had wrestled together, they had fought together, they had offended one another and forgiven one another, and they had grown this brotherhood, which was so attractive that when the first ones of us that were involved in Outpost those first few years that got to be around them when they were all together, our lives were changed just by being near them. That's how potent love is. Brotherhood, sisterhood can change the world. And Jesus said as much. He says, you will know my disciples. You will know who are mine. You'll know, the world will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. You see, you can't identify a disciple of Christ by a cross necklace. But you always can by love. Okay? Love identifies us as disciples. The world is never going to look at you as a light unless they see how you love one another. So we could say this, your loyalty to one another is the light that will lead this world out of death into true life. Your loyalty to one another here, in this place, in this community, is the light that will lead others out. Like the North Star guiding slaves escaping from the southern states, you are going to be a light, a beacon leading men and women out of sin into the freedom of Christ. By your loyalty to one another. Okay. Now I want to end by looking at how how do we do this? How do we make this happen? We say this in our post. That love is unselfishly choosing the highest good of another. Sounds like kind of a mouthful, so I'm going to unpack it a little bit. Love is unselfishly choosing the highest good of another. What that means is basically you prefer the best for one another. You do the best. You give the best. You do absolutely whatever is the highest good, whatever is the most good for that person, that's what you're going to do. That's love. And at Sam Houston State University, their Chi Alpha group, which is sort of our where the team came from, and so they, they're really a model to us. They're one of the largest Chi Alphas in the country today. A lot of times they get asked, why are you guys so successful? What are you doing down there that's working? And their campus pastor, Eli Gocher, will always say this, it's because we love each other. That's it. It's because we love each other. If I had to put down one thing, it would be this, because we love each other. There was a small group early on in the days of Sam Houston's history, before they were this big group that they are today, when they were really small inside. There was a small group that talked about this. The small group leader said this, love is a selfish choosing the highest good of another. And this member of the small group, this guy was really into photography. How many of you that are into photography know that cameras can be very expensive? Right? Like thousands of dollars expensive. So this guy in small group 
loves photography, and had one of the nicest cameras that money can buy. Well, his small group leader gets a call one day from his small group member and says, hey, small group leader, um, I'm leaving this black bag out in the parking lot. Uh, I'm just going to leave it out there. I want you to go out and get it right away, and, and it's yours. Just don't ask me why. Just just take it. And the smuggler is like, man, I hope this isn't drugs. Uh, <laughs> I hope there's not something illegal in here. This is really weird. So he goes out to the parking lot, and, and there's no one around. And he picks up the bag, and sure enough, it's his small group member's camera. And the small group leader's kind of into photography, but not really. Like, maybe he mentioned it once. And he calls the small group member back, and he says, what in the world is this about? And the small group member says, Remember that time at small group you said love is unselfishly choosing the highest good of another? This is literally the greatest thing I thought I could give away. This is literally the best thing that I knew to give. How wasteful, right? In, 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 like Logically, that makes no sense. Why would you give away the camera to somebody who doesn't even do photography? Why would you give away something you had worked so hard to earn? But that is, let me tell you guys, that's godliness. That's love. That's the love that I'm talking about. When the Bible talks about love, that's what it means. What do you guys think is the most valuable thing that you possess? Just think about it in your head. You know, materially. What is the, the most expensive, most precious thing that you possess? I want to challenge you on this. I don't think it's a thing. I don't, I don't think it's a possession, a material possession. I think the most precious thing you guys possess is your time. You know why? Because all I ever hear is, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. I'm always busy. I'm so busy. I don't have enough time. Time is, is for you guys, is the most valuable thing you, you possess. You don't have a lot of money right now. None of you have careers yet. Right? It's just true. Money's not, money's not the thing, right? <laughs> you you'd probably, if you're living in the dorms, you don't have a lot of possessions, but you do have time. And time to you is valuable because you, you only have a finite amount of it. Everyone's got the same amount of time. Nobody has more. Nobody has less. And you've got this time. And I want to challenge you tonight that if you really believe that love is what I talked about, to give away your time. Oh, give away your time, guys. Yes, I know it's a sacrifice sometimes just to make it to small group meeting and outpost on Thursday night. But if we're going to become brothers and sisters, and if you're going to have true brotherhood and true sisterhood, it's got to be over lunch. you got to let people in your life. you got to have your small group leader in your dorm room. you got to be going and hanging out with your small group members. You know, you should be in each other's lives. You should be giving away your time to one another and saying, these are my people. Giving more here will always result in others being reached out there. Okay, so if you're concerned for the lost, if you truly care about the lost, invest in brotherhood and invest in sisterhood. If you really want to reach someone for Christ, love and hear the best you know how, and they will come. I promise you, I'm, I'm living proof of that. I'm standing here tonight. Nothing else would have reached me but the potency of the brotherhood that I saw, that I wanted. I, I wanted that so bad. And eventually I was willing to pay what was necessary to have it. I laid down my life. And so we see the last thought I have tonight, I think it's the last slide, is that the cost of brotherhood and the reward of true community of brotherhood are the same. It demands all we are. And if worship team, please come back up. The cost of brotherhood and the reward are the same. Isn't that wonderful? 
not only does it cost us all we are, but we, we get this brotherhood that involves all we are. We get this sisterhood that's beyond boundaries. It's beyond the borders of, of just a meeting. I, I have two kids. I don't raise my children in meetings. Like I don't sit down and schedule one-on-one with Everly and talk about talk about how what she's learning in school and you know what she's learning about God. We don't do that, right? What, when when do those conversations happen? Over dinner, right? Where else? It happens when she's just in my house. We're just in our we're in each other's lives. And I think that's the picture that God has here in the book of Acts. It says that they met together day by day. They broke bread together in one another's homes because they didn't even have church buildings. They had the synagogue, but that was only on one time a week. The rest of the week was spent in each other's homes, breaking bread. So I want to, I want us to be people who get this. I want us to get this tonight. So I'm going to pray for us. And what I want to see tonight, you guys can go ahead and stand up. What I want to see to happen tonight, this is something that you, you can't just do in like a 15-minute response time, okay, right? What I'm talking about is a conviction to be lived out in your lives. I want, and I hope that your perspective has changed, that you begin to be grateful if you're not, that you just fall on your knees and say, God, thank you for these people, warts and all. Thank you, God, for these people. Thank you, God, for giving me community, for not for not making me do this by myself. And then once you're grateful and, and you appreciate your brothers and sisters, it's, it's a matter of giving away that which is costless to you, loving them with the highest good that you know how, giving you time. And then finally, it's, it's binding your lives together. It's, it's, an, it's a loyalty. Like some of you tonight, we heard about the internship program. When I was getting ready to, to leave this campus as a graduate, well, when I graduated from college, sorry, I, I was looking at options. I wanted to be a missionary. I wanted to go overseas. And God spoke to me and said, Brent, I've given you so much right here. Basically, don't be dumb. Don't, don't just throw all this away. Look what I've given you. I've invested in you with relationships. There's guys, younger brothers, looking up to you. They're going to lose you if you go. And so for some of you tonight, that means staying. You're, you're about to graduate this December or next May. And you, you really need to consider the internship. You, not, not even for your sake, but for our sake. Like, that might be the most loving thing that you can possibly do for Jesus and for us. It's just stay. Be loyal to one another. But if that brings us different places, so be it. But let us be loyal. Let us be people who are just so committed to one another. Okay? Sound good? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you, God. We praise you that we get to have this community. Man, God, I just need you to speak, Holy Spirit, while we worship. I need you to speak these things, and I know you've been speaking, but I just need you to make them amplified times a thousand in the spirits and the hearts of everyone here tonight. That we, Lord, I just want these convictions that you've given me to be given to, to us, to, to these young men and women of such bright and promising future and potential. So much influence is here in this room, latent. Lord, let it be let out. Let the potential and the influence be released through our love for one another. Let it be true love, Jesus. God, I just can't get over this. Let it be true love, Jesus. May we love one another truly. We love you, Jesus.